You are listening to the Wi-Fi Ninjas podcast, where we talk about wireless technology. Here are your hosts, Matt Daring and Matt Starling. Hello, and welcome to the Wi-Fi Ninjas podcast. I am your host, Matt Starling, and today I'm joined with my co-host, Matt Daring. Stop, Matt. So thank you very much for a quick intro of this beautiful new Wi-Fi Ninjas podcast. I think our, our listeners, they will have to wait a little bit to listen back to your super sexy voice because we have a special announcement and a super special guest to open up our podcast. We were looking for someone to talk about the ultra wideband stuff. Well, we found Peter from Sevio, but uh, we're also like walking around the city and we found a homeless person lying there under the bridge. So we just approached this person and, and we thought that we will just ask him a few uh, questions about the ultra white ones and you know the closer that we got to, to this mystical person we realized that actually we we know this face and probably you do know this face too so i just wanted to introduce you to mr uc kivinemi that found his new house under the bridge in london so uc how are you doing buddy i'm good i'm good it's a bit chilly day here in london so any extra blankets would be very highly appreciated. But other than that, I'm very good. Thank you. Okay, so I, I think we'll have to, to wait until Christmas to provide you with extra blankets, but I, I'm sure that we, it, it can be arranged. So uh, we will have a chat with local charities. No, don't worry. But let's just talk, you know, maybe not about blankets, but about something more interesting, like ultra wideband. Is there yeah. something that you want to, to tell us about, about it from, from your perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for, uh, thanks for asking. So, uh, being in the location, Wi-Fi location game since 2001 and, uh, and you know, having seen ton of deployments, good and bad, uh, successes and failures, I think ultra-wideband holds a lot of promise for different environments, um, you know, namely manufacturing and warehousing. And those have been kind of the missing places for, for most of RTLS. I mean, you can use BLE to find items in warehouses and manufacturing as well. But for example, if your APs are mounted high or, or if you need super, super high accuracy, I really, really like ultra-wide band. Don't you, Mac? I mean, uh, didn't you come just try to Finland to try out the technology, <laughs> right? Yeah, mate. And actually, it, it's, a, it's quite, a, quite a good story about my coming to, to Finland to test it with you because uh, I was feeling really, really bad and I was like lying in my bed for the last three days and then I had a flight to Finland to catch and three hours drive to, to get there. And I, I really thought that I'm not going to make it. Like I was, I had like a stomach bag and I was driving to the airport with a window open in my car and thought that okay. I'm never going to make it. But uh, so normally if it was just like a standard, you know, uh, trip for work, that was the perfect candidate to go off sick. But it was so interesting to me personally that, I would I wouldn't f forgive myself if I just you know didn't go there on time for this podcast. So there we are. I managed to get there uh, first day. Stayed in the hotel to to make sure that I'm better and capable of doing some tests with Mr. Yusi. And I think by the time I was getting to Finland, we didn't even have our test kit, right? It just yeah, arrived exactly. together with me. It arrived, it arrived exactly at the last minute. Because when you called me, I was like, dude, sorry, it didn't arrive. And you were already in Helsinki. But then I went last one last time that night back to the office. And I didn't literally leave the office until 11 p.m. I was so excited to kind of 
prepare for our next next day setup of the technology and it only took us like an hour or two to set the whole thing up excluding the the massively awesome uh you, you know bottle uh screw, what was it bottle opener screw things that you you know mounted uh yeah, it was a mixture of a cardboard and the plastic brackets and the plastic caps from the pet bottles <laughs> <laughs> that was horrible. We need to add some pictures to your blog uh, regarding the installation. It's it's already there because it's. I, I think like people they will learn a lot from 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 our approach of installing the ultra wide band anchors because it's it's really out of the box approach and that's that's how you should mount them. They, it they is. Work. It is. And I think, speaking of out of the box, I think it's really important for RTLs in general. Like, uh, Mist is a huge fan of like standards-based, uh, just super easy to set up, no extra infrastructure type of a thing, and and you know works fantastically for that. Let's say 80, 90 percent of the use cases, just with BLE and phones and tags. But when you need that uh, extra granularity, let's say in manufacturing floors or warehouses, that you know even sub down to submeter, like near real time, it's just pretty unbelievable how 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 ultra wide band can fill that gap. So so I really enjoyed like it was in a way quite a few similarities to Mist. Would you say like the ease of setup, like everything just worked. Granted, you need extra hardware for ultrawide band, but it wasn't like excessive in terms of setup or configuration. Outside that, if you if you don't mention our uh, out of the box brackets and installation of the system, it took us like probably twenty minutes to to get it up and running. Well, I'm not sure how much time you spent on the uh, previous day, but on the day of the testing, it was really really fast. Dude, I didn't spend much time, and and you know the instructions were good and all that. So uh, you know they those guys done a done a good job. I know it's not an easy task to make an easy to use RTLS system, but they they um, they've done a good job. Yeah, and we had instructions uh, written in a really nice uh, PDF file. Uh, they were outlining every possible option with wired version and wireless version of anchors from from Serbia. So it was easy, and also a video from from Peter available on on YouTube. It's like five minutes video that outlines all the steps needed to to do it. That includes the design tips and mounting tips, and uh, like a basic steps in the RTLS Studio uh, system. So this is the only bit outside of the anchors and tags that we need to have to uh, calculate our location. It's like a very lightweight uh, Linux 64-bit based VM that you can yeah. virtualize in VirtualBox, and that's that's really it. It is. It, it really is uh, super simple and clean uh, to set up, and it just worked. Even with our like PowerPoint drone map, which obviously had to be in scale. I did do the measurements a couple of times at the office, but once that was in place, it really yeah, it worked. Was, well. It was the best plans I've ever seen in my life. So, what did you use <laughs> to to draw those plans? <laughs> it was the latest, very latest version of PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a very suitable software to draw an office plan uh, that is used for ultra wideband that can be as accurate as, as seven centimeters. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so this is like the uh, technical intro. Uh, we have another uh, thing to talk about uh, with you, you see. So would you like to, uh, to talk about it now or shall we talk about it slightly later towards the end of the podcast? Let's talk about it later. S save it until then. Okay. Thanks everybody for listening. It's Thank you. Podcast. Thank you guys for having me.
Thank you very much. And back to you, Matt and Peter. But we also have another guest on our show today. And I think I will let Mac introduce our guest as he can pronounce your name better. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, hello. Uh, we have uh, Petr. Is that how we pronounce your name? That is correct. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Yay, perfect. So, uh, Petr, uh, welcome to our podcast. It's a massive, giant pleasure to have you with us today. So, thank you very much for donating your time. Of course. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you very much for, for the invitation. <laughs> Always a pleasure. So, uh, would you mind just introducing yourself and telling us who you are before we tell everyone what this podcast is going to be about? Sure thing. Uh, so as you as you already said, my name is Peter. For you know Czech Polish uh, people or people from Central Europe, for the rest of the world, is Peter. <laughs> that is more is more simple for the rest. And uh, my job is uh, VP of Sales uh, North America in a company called Savio, uh, which is a uh, which is a maker of uh, ultra wideband uh, radio technology uh, location platform. So that is my that is my role. Perfect. So ultra wideband. So guys, this is what we are going to talk about today. This is like a very hot topic for everyone interested in the RTLS space. Uh, we have covered uh, previously Wi-Fi based RTLS and BLE based RTLS. Today we are blessed with having Peter to talk about ultra wideband. Uh, just just to give you a very very quick insight, we are extremely happy to talk about it as we've already tested it and it has blown our brains away. Yeah, uh, and also, so, Mac, I'm not sure if anyone's noticed yet how excited we are about RTLS or if we ever spoken about it before. <laughs> no, no idea, maybe, possibly. <laughs> maybe Let, a few times. Can... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, so uh, Peter, would you mind just telling us slightly more about your company, about Savio, where are you based, what are you guys exactly doing, and how your uh, history started? How did you get into ultra wideband? Sure thing. So actually, it's a, it's a long story, but I'll try to keep it short because we only have an hour, right? We have time. <laughs> Not necessarily. Yeah. We can we can keep it you know longer. The most interesting podcasts they tend to be over an hour. That's that's totally fine. Okay, so then I need to stretch it. Okay, understood. <laughs> okay, so I'll start right at the beginning. Uh, so um, the history of Savio goes back into 2011, 2012, something like that. Uh, and it started with our two founders. So it was Milan Cimek, our CEO, and Lubomir Mraz. So that's the CTO. And uh, they were both studying here on local uh, University of Electrical Engineering in Brno, in Czech Republic. And that's also where we have our HQ currently. And uh, back in those days, uh, they came, they had this research project for European Space Agency, um, which was looking for a wireless technology for data transfer on satellites. Uh, the motivation behind this project was that, of course, every kilogram that you send into space is extremely expensive. So they wanted to limit the number of cables in a satellite and were looking for uh, let's say, robust and reliable wireless technology to do that. So, you know, back then they were sitting in this meeting room and there was a big table, you know, comparison of technology. So obviously there was Wi-Fi, there was BLE, uh, there was Zigbee, you know, these kinds of technologies. And then there was UWB. So back then they were like, you know, what's that? You know, it's the uh, first time we heard about something like that. So that's that's when they first get, uh, got into touch with DecoWave. Uh, that's Irish uh, chip maker of ultra wideband chips. And back then they had the first versions of ultra wideband chips available. So um, you know they they got a few uh, they got a few boards 
for testing. And while they were doing these tests for, for this project, they actually found out that it actually measures distance pretty nicely, you know, very accurately. So, and since our CEO, he's very, let's say, business oriented, he immediately understood the, the impact that this technology could have across, you know, various business verticals. So they founded a company and that was in 2014. So um, that was really the official beginning. Uh, back then, it was really just five guys, uh, most of them technical R&D, uh, developing the first, uh, we call it RTLS kit. So like a very simple, uh, very simple setup of just a few receivers and locators uh, to set up the technology. Then in 2015, we received a seed investment from a company called Ysoft Ventures, also local here to Brno. We were quite, uh, we were quite lucky with this one because they also make hardware and they actually manufacture hardware for us. So you know, it was kind of a win-win situation. And uh, yeah, since then we've been we've been growing, and yeah, currently we're 30 people. And uh, as I mentioned, our HQ is in Brno, and uh, most of our activities are currently in Europe. But we also have uh, some activities in uh, Asia, and obviously my role. Uh, is focusing on on uh, expanding our activities in North America. So that's where we are at currently. And regarding the product or what we make, uh, we we say that we we do we create ultra wideband uh, ultra wideband location platform. So uh, we don't uh, we don't uh, create solutions. Let's say for logistics, for retail, uh, for sports. These these verticals. We really just provide. Uh, very, very reliable XY data for our business partners, and they uh, they use this data from us to deliver the complete uh, and solution to their to their customers in their respective business verticals. So this is this is it in a nutshell. Amazing. Huh. So uh, what chipsets do you use, guys? Uh, it's a chip from a company called DecaWave. Okay, DecaWave in Ireland. So you started off with them and you still stick with uh, DecaWave Ireland to get your chipsets. Perfect. And how about the competition? Are there any other chipsets vendor available on the market that can do similar things? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, of course, last year the the Apple uh, had this announcement, silent announcement that they have the one chip with the with the uh, chip inside. Obviously, uh, we don't use their chips for you know it's Apple, so for obvious reasons, uh, they like to keep these things for themselves. Um, of course, so last year there there were also some new introductions like a chip from NXP, and uh, as far as I know, probably a few more will come out this year. But we're sticking with Decaway for now because uh, the main reason is you could split. You could split the ultra wideband market into two parts. One would be point-to-point -point communication, which means that you simply measure distance between two devices, and by uh, by the, you know you have only this distance information. So for that, for example, the NXP chip is uh, is is used to. So it's used to provide mainly secure access uh, to cars or secure access control systems. For example, if you look at some demos from CES uh, this year. Uh, you will see some demos in Samsung and HID Wireless where they use ultra wideband for secure access. So you don't need to use your card. You have the you have the key in your phone, digital key in your phone, and you just approach the door and it opens automatically. Uh, you know, just based on being close to the close to the reader with the right key. So this is like point-to-point -point applications. So this is where NXP and the other vendors are focusing on, and DecaWave is uh, more focused on the. RTLS, which is which is our part. So that's you don't have the distance, you don't have the point to point, but you have actual XY XY position in space. So this is this is why we're sticking with them. 
Yeah, I was very silent by Apple that they had this ultra wideband chip in their phones. I mean, I um, I, I do drink the uh, Apple Kool Aid, but I didn't even notice that. To be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, it was well. Actually, everyone was kind of expecting that they will make the announcement in September because in our world it was a uh, you know everyone was whispering about it like months prior to the event and everyone was like expecting uh, you know big announcement on stage, but they actually didn't. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's it's kind of it's kind of typical for them. They did the same with Apple Pay and other technologies, like that they had it in their slides, but they didn't talk about it, and they revealed it a year ago or half a year, sorry, a year after that or a half a year after that. So we may still see some interesting presentation about it in the future. And if you do look at their website, they they openly say that the chip is there and that it enhances some of the uh, user experience features, like for example, AirDrop. Uh, so if you use iPhone, you know, AirDrop is used to uh, transfer uh, files. So the one chip will be used to um, determine uh, the, the person. So for example, you will point your phone to the to the other person. And if he also has the chip, you will be able to identify him among other other iPhones in the room. So stuff like that, enhancing user, user experience primarily. Would that, would that suggest that the ultra-wideband antennas built into iPhones are directional? Uh, well, they actually have multiple of them. Uh, wow. I know that they have like a two or three. They have an antenna array. I, there are definitely at least two of them. Yeah, but uh, I don't know the details, and I, I'm not sure if anyone actually besides Apple engineers know the details. So, and does that mean then that potentially the Apple iPhone 11s could be compatible with your anchors? Could be, could be, of course. Um, I'd say uh, that's the disadvantage of the ultra wideband of where it is nowadays. Like, uh, let's say every every vendor of ultra wideband can, has their own, uh, let's say, application protocol of how receivers uh, or anchors in ultra wideband terminology communicate with tags. So um, it's primarily uh, about software. All of these chips are based on the same standard, uh, same wireless standard. So it would be a question of, you know, uh, making a unified protocol, uh, communication protocol between the iPhone and the receivers, the anchors. And yeah, for sure, you could you could use it as a tag. Because I'm just thinking out loud here, but I imagine that's a good thing that the ultra wideband chip is in the iPhones because what we really want to see is like the mass adoption here. And if it's already an iPhones, then that's a pretty big chunk of the market that could potentially use ultra wideband for RTLS. Definitely, definitely. And another thing is also that if uh, Apple is the pioneer, uh, then most likely other other vendors will, will follow. So Samsung, I don't know, uh, and all the others, you know, could uh, could follow the same path and uh, Mac, could Mac see much knows- more of yeah, Mac knows plenty of rubbish phones. He's got he's had loads of them. What's the one, what's the one you got now? Uh, it's a very beautiful uh, ceramic made uh, Xiaomi Mi Mix Three, <laughs> which is amazing. It looks like iPhone, but it doesn't have just like you know a bath tube on the top of my screen because it's a, a sliding device. Yeah, think- it's beautiful. I don't think anyone heard what you said there. And you, what you're basically trying to refer to is that on the top of the iPhone it. It's got a bath tub, not a bath tube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> but it doesn't have it, so it's cool. But it's not an iPhone, and it doesn't have ultra wideband. And that's not cool. <laughs> exactly. That's not. Yeah. Well, not being an iPhone is very cool, but not having ultra wideband. Yeah, I would. I would love to have it. <laughs> 
So shall we move on to maybe how accurate ultra wide bands can potentially be? Sure, or sure. Was there any other chip related topics you wanted to cover or uh, I personally I don't think so um, yeah as I mentioned definitely if you're interested in this topic uh, check out some of the videos uh, shown from CES this year uh, you'll see some pretty interesting demos uh, where ultra wideband is used uh, not only for secure access but they also use it for data transfer so I think it was Samsung that, that showed like uh, there was a guy playing a video game with uh, wireless on a wireless controller that was using ultra wideband to stream data so yeah, many, many use cases were, were shown this year. And I don't think that that many were shown last year. So I, I think that we'll see more and more of chips and more and more applications uh, during 2020. Okay. Do we, do we want to talk about the accuracy or did we want to talk a little bit more around the technology first, how it works? How did you want to... Uh, no, accuracy, accuracy, please. So, so I'm, I'm sure that everyone <laughs> is bursting to know how accurate the system is. So if you don't mind... You uh, see how accurate is it? You see how stressed Matt gets if we try and go in a different order to the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Understand. He likes to have things in order, of course. Understandable. <laughs> it's absolutely not the case. I'm just like, you know, interested. However, I know the answer to this question, but like last week when we had the first call, I didn't know. So I was really interested in knowing. Of course. Yeah, yeah, sure thing. So, uh, yeah, if, if you look at uh, marketing brochures and, uh, you know, ideal line of sight conditions, stuff like that. So people like to say that you can get to around 10 centimeters, which is true for the most part. If you put it on tripods in your lab, uh, you don't have any obstacles or anything like that. Sure, you can you can get this level of accuracy. But then then if you go to the real use cases where the tags are typically near objects, like uh, in, in industry, for example, you, you can have tags on forklifts, you can have them on pallets, or if you're tracking personnel, you can, you know, people can wear it on a lanyard or you know attached as a watch or something like that, then the accuracy uh, drops obviously because you have you know obstacles. It's still radio technology, so it, it affects the accuracy. And and so, it drops to what? Uh, in terms, uh, still, you you could go around, uh, if you don't have really like metal environment, uh, a harsh environment, you could be around one foot, so 30 centimeters. I'm saying both also for our friends from, from America. And, uh, or or you, it, it could go down to, let's say, uh, two feet, 60 centimeters, something like that. So we like to say that for industrial applications, uh, we can be around 50 centimeters. That's, that's, the, that's the gold standard. Man, that is... That is not that accurate, is it? No, I'm not <laughs> sure if it's acceptable. <laughs> that is that is crazy. So just to, guys to give you more insight, like when you when you compare it to trilateration from Wi-Fi, which is five to seven meters, or like an angle of arrival, or even best BLE implementations in the market, uh, the best you can have is like one to one through three meters. Uh, that's that's probably the best we've seen with Matt. Even in the lab yeah. environments, we couldn't see any better than like. I think we've missed BLE. We've had uh, 76 centimeters at some at some point, which is which is extremely great. But like having this kind of accuracy of like 10 centimeters is is just like a science fiction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because like our CTO likes to say, of course, one thing is the accuracy, but the second thing, very important thing, is the confidence level with with uh, what you have the accuracy. So even with uh, you know Cisco hyperlocation or anything. Uh, you can say that you have, let's say, five meter of accuracy, but you also have to look at the confidence level. Like uh, you can have that level of accuracy, but only at, let's say, 
fifty percent of the time, right? So yeah. something. So that's also something that you need to consider. Yeah. So yeah, with ultra wide band, you can you can have the ten centimeter, but you know, but some lower confidence level. But if you increase the confidence level, you still are at the let's say decimeter level uh, of of precision, which is which is very good. And also, you know, sometimes if you if you think about what you want to track, typically the objects are much bigger <laughs> than you know fifty centimeters. So still, the accuracy is is very, very largely acceptable for a lot of use cases. Yeah, that is insane. Is um, you know, when you uh, see a player's movements being tracked on like basketball courts and stuff, is uh, is that using ultra wide band or? I believe so. Yeah, there are plenty of companies that focus on on sports applications. So, for example, in 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 US, uh, every NFL game uh, uses ultra wide band for for tracking of players uh, for for a few years now. And uh, I know that there are companies in there that also focus on on uh, tracking uh, basketball players. So I imagine that yeah, they also like to combine it sometimes with cameras uh, because you know every technology has uh, some blind spots. Let's say so it's always to use like a combination. So in sports, I know that it's uh, kind of popular to use combination of ultra wideband and also camera tracking to to combine it together. And I yes. have to confirm, like we were running around the office with UC. Uh, when we are testing it, and it it works. So I, I'm not like a fast runner, but I was I was running uh, for the first time in like a month or two. <laughs> oh, I'd love to see that. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you broke yeah, the sweat. It didn't look too good. <laughs> yeah, I had to, I had to take my top off uh, later, but <laughs> it, it really oh, worked, see. mate. It's... <laughs> he took his shoes off first, so I'm not sure who was in the worst position. <laughs> But it it really it really works. It picks up so quickly. Like when you start running, it it like picks it up immediately. So that that brings us to another question, like to track sports and you know running UC and running Mac, which is probably not too difficult. Uh, what location calculation frequency can you offer as a system? Yeah. So in our system, the maximum that you can have is like one uh, one hundred hertz, so ten milliseconds. But that's the absolute maximum. Uh, for the highest that we use in bigger applications, let's say, for example, we have lots of uh, installations in go karts. Uh, so in go kart tracking, they uh, I think they use it at uh, fifty millisecond refresh rate. Fifty milliseconds. Yeah. Are you sure it's enough? <laughs> for for them it is. <laughs> and then just as a comparison, Mac, how often is the compute Say calculation frequency for BLE. Uh, BLE subsecond, uh, constantly subsecond. So it's it's mm -hmm. still very very good. It gives you like a Google Maps kind of uh, experience. Well, not kind of. It does. Then the second best we've we've seen was the Cisco hyperlocation with a screen on and the active users. We had two and a half seconds, uh, yep. which goes down to about five with a screen off. And then without this, like you know, crazy angle of arrival or uh, missed implementation of, of BBLE, BLE, uh, we have seen about 15 seconds for trilateration using Omni Wi-Fi access points. It's quite a quite a substantial difference, isn't it? It's it's yeah, it is. Uh, still, like a subsecond is good, uh, but 100 times a second is is mad. This is just madness. And to have this frequency calculation, uh, like 100 times per second, if you set the system up to, to use this refresh rate, what is the battery life of the tags uh, that you are using? 
Yeah, such such a high refresh rate. Uh, I'd say I don't know, maybe a day or two, something like that. Uh, if you, I know that a standard or default we use like hundred milliseconds, so ten times per second, and I know that that one can last. If you consider like continuous blinking, meaning continuously sending messages without any uh, without any pause. Uh, mm-hmm. The tag would last approximately 11 days, 12 days, something like that. Okay. But, and what uh, happens if you don't use it constantly? If you just like use it for, for one hour and then you put it on the shelf? It goes to sleep. So uh, we have accelerometer in there that detects if, if it's moving. So that's a very useful feature. Uh, we use it a lot in industry, for example, when tracking pallets. So uh, there you can use it in a way that when it moves, it sends an update, let's say, every second or every two seconds. And when it's stationary, it sends an update every, let's say, 10 minutes, for example, just to let you know that it's in there. We call it like keep alive. And uh, that can give you, in one project, we have better lifetime of seven years, which is, which is, which is fairly good. Yeah. <laughs> fairly, fairly wow. good, yeah. And also, like, it's worth mentioning that you do not have to, uh, to, to worry about the battery life of your Anchors of the infrastructure that is PoE enabled, yes. but it's just the tags that you are tracking. So it really is not that painful because you don't have to get to the ceiling, you don't have to get to like, you know, the walls to get to the beacons as you would have had in a BLE world before. Uh, yep. it's, it's just the asset that you track and it's yeah. fair enough, I would say. It's it's kind of an advantage and disadvantage at the same time. Like uh, when, when you would be talking about, let's say, mass adoption of UWB, so that could be one of the for some projects, that's one of the uh, showstoppers that people don't really like that you have to, you know, use a cable for every anchor. Uh, and they rather fancy the BLE with, that you can just power it with battery. But of course, if you consider a really large warehouse or large buildings where you can have many, many, many beacons, <laughs> you need to, you know, do some battery management. So you still need to exchange the batteries on, on a huge number of beacons. And the advantage is, uh, of course, with the cables, like you said, you can you just power it with PoE and you don't really need to exchange any batteries. So in the long term, uh, the servicing is much, much more pleasant and easy than, than with exchanging batteries for a huge, huge load of, of, of beacons. Yeah, that's not going to be a lot of fun, is it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but depends what you like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I must I must confirm that the, uh, the motion sensor it's not the motion sensor it's the accelerometer uh, mm-hmm. built into the tags it works perfectly so we've we've tested it properly with the little tags and the little tags uh, that uh, Savio is using they are they are smaller than the box of matches so they are really small and really light and quite thin as well and they are very easy to to put anywhere. So really. it felt felt very comfortable in your hand because that's the sort of size that you're used to, right? <laughs> around you <laughs> yeah so and that was the small tags and I've also seen in the box the big tags and they had like some uh, ceiling around its casing so I assume that the big tags like a big they're not that big they are as big as I don't know a pack of, pack of cigarettes mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a good comparison <laughs> uh, they are like a, um, industrial type of tags that you can screw into something they are water resistant they are dust resistant is that is that the right impression yeah yeah so so the reason why these two types are inside uh, is because most of our projects are coming from industrial space so that's uh, where we see the biggest 
use of ultra wideband these days uh, is the industrial segment and that is why these attacks are also part of that uh, part of that kit uh, so that the customers or the partners can directly test the housings in the harsh conditions uh, in their in the shop floors so exactly like you said so these these are tags we call them asset tags so this is really for tracking you know pallets uh, forklifts whatever and the other one is uh, is more useful for for tracking personnel for example that you can wear it as a watch or on a lanyard uh, something like that and yes, actually it, you have you have sorry you have some, yeah go for it no i just had a, had a question whilst we're talking about verticals um and you say that quite a lot of your deployments are in an industrial space I'm just thinking that potentially for a, say, like a retail customer um, that owns like a large shopping center, how would this solution kind of like fit in for these guys where, yes, okay, there might be a lot of customers coming in with in the future with like iPhone 11s. Is there any way to integrate the SUEO um, ultra-wideband kit with other kits so like they can get just general information from like how many people are turning up, what paths they're taking, or mm-hmm. is it the case that they really need to have would have to have a tag? Yeah, yeah, good, good question. Um, actually, retail was one of the uh, one of the very first projects that we did back in 2016. So it was really our very first uh, our very first use case with larger deployment. So back then we were we, the technology was used in Germany to track shopping trolleys. And uh, there was this marketing company that was using it to analyze customer behavior. So um, they were they were gathering the data of where the shopping trolleys are moving and uh, what type of goods they're they're interested in. So and as you so yeah, retail is a is a very good also a very good uh, an interesting business vertical. And it's also not that challenging because if you look at the ceiling, you typically have a lot of you know mounting points. It's fairly open. So it's not as challenging to install as in some industrial spaces. So it's relatively simple to set it up. And uh, yeah, in terms of the interoperability, let's call it uh, exactly like you say, it sure can work. If we could use some other devices uh, from other vendors, uh, it's all about, you know, there would need to be some sort of cooperation uh, between between us just to do some sort of uh, standardized standardized protocol or something to, to interconnect the technologies. Cool. Sorry, what was you going to say, Mac? <laughs> I was going to say that about the mounting of the anchors and suitability for the verticals that you've just discussed. It's also very robust because you do not have to power everything from from the switch, right? You you don't have to. You have two flavors of your of your anchors, right, Peter? Mm-hmm. You have like the Wi-Fi version and the Ethernet version, and we were happily powering the anchor with the Wi-Fi version from just like a POV batteries or like an unconfigured POV switch. And they were talking back to the Cisco VPN concentrator or whatever it's, it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to just give us an insight uh, into differences between two versions of your new anchors, version 1.4? I think that's the newest version of your anchors? Yeah, yeah, sh- sure thing. So. Uh, yeah, regarding the data backhaul, uh, the Wi-Fi was actually developed because it was based on feedback from from our partners. Like uh, they said, we like your products, but every time where we want to do a demo for customers, uh, we always have to pull cabling to the anchors, which is you know which takes very long. It's you know you require a lot of cabling. It's not very let's say nice and clean. Uh, so you know if you could do a wireless solution, that would be that would be you know perfect. So 
we took this feedback and we developed the, the Wi-Fi backhaul, which means that indeed you can just power the anchors with battery packs and you can you can have you can use your laptop as the location location engine, location server, and you can interconnect the anchors with your laptop via a wireless router, and you can have a fairly quick setup. Now, on the wireless, uh, we use it primarily for small installations or just temporary setups where the customers uh, just want to test something or you know do a POC or something like that, and it's it can also work with a wired installation at the same time. And uh, yeah, in terms of anchors, uh, this question 1.4. So that was actually our previous generation, which was running on cheap antennas. And we've developed a new one, which is an, which has an external omni omnidirectional antenna, which performs very well. And we also have a directional antenna in the portfolio as well, which is aimed for industrial use. And it has a directional antenna that we've developed on our own for ultra wideband. So this is the current offering that that we have. Okay. Uh, so since we are already discussing the antennas and stuff, uh, shall we just spend some more time here uh, talking about the requirement design, more of the equipment. So what do we need to make ultra wideband from Servio work? Like what components are, are required to, to make it work? Sure, sure. So uh, yeah, let's consider, let's consider, I don't know, an industrial deployment, for example, retail, whatever. So uh, what you need, of course, are the anchors, so the receivers. You need at least, uh, in the minimum, you need at least four receivers, four anchors to calculate precise position. So that's that's the minimum that you can go with. Uh, then you need the infrastructure, which means cables, uh, switches, uh, standard 100, 100 megabit switches. No no need for any special, uh, special expensive uh, Cisco gear or something like that. And you can connect that to a local server, and that's basically all you need, uh, including our software, of course. And yeah, that's the whole setup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I, I must confirm again. So it took us 15 minutes to to make it work before we were able to track our first asset, which is quite fast, considering <laughs> the the market. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Peter, it was like super sleek, like your software which is the rtls2 that is a vm that can that can run in like a, a virtual box or natively on ubuntu 64 is it hmm? yeah, yeah yeah ubuntu 18 yeah 16 or 18 yeah yeah so it's it's really really easy and it's a kind of a lightweight thing as well so you, you just have like a front end https it's it's very quick responsive and quite Intuitive. I, I can't say that it was a difficult thing to, to set it up. And also, it works straight out of the box. You just connect it, configure it, and it, it works, it's just, which is great. Yeah, okay, so it, must, let's, it yeah. definitely must be super simple if you manage to set it up on your own without me. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> I must say it was super simple. It, but it would be it would have been even simpler with you, Matt. So, uh, yeah, with you, I'm sure it would have taken us like five minutes and not 15. <laughs> more, more time for asset tracking. <laughs> okay, so let's just uh, spend some more time uh, talking about the design since we have already started. Uh, what are the distances between the anchors? How do we mount them? Uh, how do we set them up in the system? Like roughly, uh, are there any design tools and tips that we need to uh, to take under consideration while? deploying and designing the ultra-wide network? 
Sure, sure. So the distances uh, between the devices, uh, this is this is actually a broad topic because it depends on many factors. One is the environment where, in, where you're installing. Uh, second is the uh, the placement of the tags as well because, of course, the it, it makes a big difference if you have it under a large chunk of metal or if you do have a line of sight. So that also affects how far the receivers can be. Uh, and uh, like I mentioned, we have two anchor types, so also the type of anchor. But just to simplify it, um, if you'd consider a grid of anchors, so meaning four, um, you can have like 15 times 15 meters all the way up to 25 times 25 meters, something like that. In some applications, you could go even even bigger if you really have a you know a nice clean environment and you would have a good tag placement, like very very visible. But yeah, if you'd have the tag, let's say on a metal pallet. Uh, on a, on the on the side of a pallet, which is which means that you know part of the anchors is like uh, shielded by by this uh, by this big asset. Then yeah, you have to consider that during the during the design. Luckily, uh, but again, based on the feedback that we had from from customers and our partners, primarily, we developed a tool which we call RTLS Planner. So this is something that is accessible to all our partners, and uh, it's similar to to Wi-Fi planning tools. For example, like you place Wi-Fi access points, and it calculates the the signal, the RSSI in various parts of the of the building, depending on the on the obstacles and stuff like that. So we took inspiration there and made the same for ultra wideband. So every partner uh, right now is available to use this tool freely. So you can just place the anchors. He can he can uh, the cal- calculate uh, the the performance the expected performance and still uh, there is a there is also a review of one of our one of our support guys just to give the final final approval for that so that's a standard way how we how we deliver how we deliver the project so uh, for you, you have your that. you have your guys that are checking if the customer's design of your ultra-wideband network is correct. So you just engage with pretty much every client and every installation, uh, making sure that is fine? Basically, yeah. So far, it's like this. Uh, once we'll gather you know, more and more data and, uh, and the planner, of course, will be more and more sophisticated, we probably won't, be able, won't need to do that anymore. Uh, right now, it's like a first version that we released a couple of months ago. So still right now, the approvals are done by us. Um, but yeah, in the long term, of course, the plan is to have it completely automatically. But still, we need to gather more data because obviously, you know, every obstacle um, is a little bit different, different materials. So it uh, uh, you know affects the radio in a different way. So yeah, we still need to uh, gather more and more data from from installations to enhance these tools and make it completely automatic. So I think that probably kind of leads us on to. Uh, it jumps the show notes a little bit, but I was going to say like how how ultra band ultra wideband actually works. Like, what frequency is it sitting? Like, how is how are these ultra widebands talking to each other? The tags and the anchors. What's the size of these? I'm going to say pulses potentially. Are they still called pulses? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, in terms of the uh, like ultra wideband itself, so the, it dates back to 2002. If you look, uh, if you look at the you know history, and back then um, it was released that it will be it will be allowed to operate in an unlicensed band spanning from uh, 3.1 to 10.6 gigahertz. So pretty big band, and uh, to to be called ultra wideband, uh, it needs to exceed uh, 500 megahertz uh, of, of of band, and there are pretty strict 
power emission regulations concerning also not to because it has such a wide frequency range you know there was there are pretty strict uh, power limits so that it doesn't you know interfere with other technologies in the in the same in the same radio bands so this was back in 2002 and then there was a first IEEE standard that came in 2007 this was the 802.15.4a so this was really let's say big thing for ultrawideband because this was like a first official you know standard from IEEE for this sort of technology so um, that's when the first chips uh, from DecaWave were being started to be uh, developed and uh, another standard that came in 2011 and 2015 but those were mainly let's say it was more more of a formal amendments it added some functionality but not they were not really like huge steps forward uh, right now, uh, they are also working on a new standard, which is called 802.15.4Z. Uh, it should have came, come out last year, but <laughs> it hasn't still. So hopefully this year it will finally be ratified. And there are many, many, if you check the companies that are contributing there, this is really very large players. Like Apple is a major com contributor, BMW, Samsung, all these major companies in automotive and also uh, also, you know, these, uh, these uh, let's say, uh, vendors of mobile phones. And uh, this, is, this standard is really meaning to make the technology more interoperable. Uh, it, again, aims to decrease the, uh, decrease the, um, the battery, the battery uh, draw that, that it has and also to extend the range. So basically to enhance the technology as much as possible. You can, as I mentioned, you can split it in two parts. Uh, one part is focusing on the pure RTLS, which XY, where you need four anchors. And the second part is uh, focusing on the um, secure access, meaning that you have just point-to-point -point communication. So typical, very popular use case for that is the uh, is the secure access to your car because uh, you know there are many articles about the so-called relay attacks how you know <laughs> some people are just able to steal the signal from, basically steal the signal from your wireless key and steal your car while you're sitting home and watching tv which is not very nice mm, so that happens quite a, that's happened quite a lot in the uk yeah 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 so so actually uh, jaguar lander rover has been using decowave chips for i think two years now for all their key uh for all their cars and key fobs and what it does it measures the car measures distance uh between the key and the car so it just wants to make sure that you're actually near the car that is just not about the signal strength but it's also about the distance between between those two and only then it unlocks, it unlocks the car for you so these kinds of these kinds of applications Okay, cool. So, um, ultra wideband can work between three point one to like ten point six gigahertz, and it has—is it ch channels between one to seven? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. This is uh, yeah. There are actually more than that. Uh, the seven channels are available on the DecaWave chip. Uh, so oh, that okay. was the original chip, uh, the DW one thousand, which allows seven seven channels to use. If you look at the uh, more uh, modern ones, it only allows typically channel two or channel five. And this is mainly because of worldwide regulations. So out of that big chunk, you know, of <laughs> of, of spectrum that you have there, uh, you only in the end have only a few channels to choose from uh, if you yeah. if you wanna if you wanna use it in multiple countries in the world. So it's kind of it's kind of more you don't have that much choice in the end uh, in, in terms of yeah. regulation. So so me and Mac were discussing this the other day on our previous podcast when we were talking about Wi-Fi six E and it was in six gigahertz because. 
ultra wideband channel five at the moment that works in the six gigahertz band, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Six point five so, frequency. Yeah. So in well, in the UK, it could potentially still work because six gigahertz in the UK will only be occupying like from just under six gigahertz to six and a half gigahertz. So does that mean it could potentially? No, no, no. Still... It's it. It will. It will still. I, I think it will still overlap with Channel Five in, even in the UK. So both UK and the US will be uh, will be affected, right? Uh, I think for competing for the frequency. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's a sort of a sort of a political play, let's say. So, for example, the like there's the Wi-Fi alliance. So ultra wideband has something similar, which is called ultra wideband alliance, which was <laughs> take away and and the, these two alliances are a little fighting each other regarding the six gigahertz band. Um, I mean, we'll see. Uh, even if it's released to Wi-Fi in the end, uh, still in the standard, definitely will have some mitigation techniques for you know uh, being able to work in the same band with other technologies. And uh, yeah, I mean, so far with Wi-Fi, we didn't have any interference uh, issues with our customers. So we'll see in the end uh, how it will play out. And still, if you if you want to deploy a new technology into, let's say, industrial shop floor. Uh, you always look what technologies are already out there, and you you make sure that you know they don't interfere. So uh, even if it is on the same frequency, uh, eventually you know with the new standards, still you should be able to fall back to a different one uh, to set the systems properly, not to interfere with one another. Okay, cool. Because the, the yeah the pulses are they're basically 500 megahertz wide, and we were looking at. Um, what other channels it could potentially use, and I think it was. Um, and it'd be working in like the three gigahertz bands that it could potentially have issues with CBRS interference over in America. Yeah, you have. Yeah, you have. You could. You could also have an option in America for channel two, which is four gigahertz. Uh, so yeah, that's three point nine. I think is the precise precise mm. uh, band. Yeah. Yeah. So we could possibly use channel one, which is the three and a half gig in Europe, and if in states. CBRS is in use, you can revert to channel 2 to avoid interference. Yeah, yeah, and you could do the same with Wi-Fi also. I mean, if you'd be uh, if you'd be on the same band, you could I mean, Wi-Fi has lots and lots of channels, so you could you could use you could use a different one also. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see how this will play out of course in the end, but nothing's certain uh, right now. Uh, there are, you know, there are still some some one week there is news that you know they will allow the band then there is like a pushback for example in america there was a major pushback for uh, opening up the 6 gigahertz band from mobile operators that they wanted to keep it for 5g so yeah this uh, we'll, we'll really see how it turns out in the end everyone is fighting they're in a fighting mood yeah yeah well my in, professor yeah. in the in the in the university said that the radio spectrum is a natural resource and yeah it's true so everyone's fighting for it just like just like oil <laughs> <laughs> that that's a very comparison yeah okay so we have discussed quite a lot of technicalities now so shall we quickly discuss how it really works so how does ultra wideband work does it use trilateration, triangulation, angle of arrival, time difference of the arrival? What 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 does it use? How how does it work? Yeah, yeah sure. So yeah, I mean, all these te techniques are pretty similar. If it's BLE or or ultra wideband or Wi-Fi, it's still uh, multilateration, angle of arrival, these kinds of techniques. Basically, with ultra wideband, you can split it into two major parts. So one would be 
uh, two-way ranging, uh, which is basically measuring distance between two devices. So this is uh, this means that you uh, send a few messages back and forth, specifically three, and with this you measure distance. If you of course measure to at least three devices, then you have you know your place on the map. Um, if you have a TDOA approach, which is what we use, it means that the tag uh, or the you know locator, however you want to call it, it just sends one message, and uh, all the anchors in its vicinity receive this message, and they record a timestamp. They send these timestamps over to the to the software to the server, and based on the difference between these timestamps, hence the time difference of arrival, it calculates the precise precise position. So. So these are the two main approaches how you can how you can calculate position and of course you can enhance it with angle of arrival capabilities. So um, this is this is uh, quite a big trend in the ultra wideband right now and uh, you can also see that DecoWave um, has some has some new chip uh, that is also leveraging this this technique. They call it phase difference of arrival, but it's basically the same thing as far as I know. So. Yeah, this is uh, also a way to enhance the precision. So possibly next generation we will have TDOA plus angle of arrival yeah. Yeah, on a yeah, single yeah. chipset. So what yeah. will be the accuracy of this thing? It's like when, when now we can achieve in a lab environment like seven centimeters consistently. Is it going to be even better than that? Um, I don't think it will be better, but the main advantage will be that you can have lesser anchors. So um, with, with TDOA, you need at least four, as mentioned, to have mm -hmm. uh, to have this sort of level of precision. But if you'd have like angle uh, angle of arrival on the on the antennas or on the uh, sorry on the on the anchors, uh, you could reduce the number to let's say two anchors only, which is which is very good because it saves you you know some of the cabling and some of the cost, uh, some of the infrastructure. But at the same time, you know, as everything has its disadvantages to, you know, to, to keep it balanced. At the same time, the angle of arrival suffers from the um, line of sight. Uh, so it needs to have line of sight. If you don't have it, uh, then, you know, we can, the accuracy can be decreased. But yeah, uh, if in perfect environment, you could have just two anchors and it could work on the same level. So I don't think it will yeah. increase the precision much more. But you you will have the reduction of of number of anchors, which is a big big advantage, of course. It is, it is. But that's the beauty now. It's like it's so resilient. Like we are trying to like you know cover the uh, the tags with our body masses, and you know my body mass is quite huge. So when I was like, <laughs> pointing my my back to the anchor, and it still worked perfectly. So that was quite impressive. If you do it the same with the anchor of angle of arrival Wi-Fi based solutions, then it's becoming a little bit picky with just two. Uh, of the access points with antenna arrays using AOA. So, yeah, let's see. Let's yeah. see how it, how it works. Also, and also, you know, the AOA is pretty good if you if you want to just use one anchor as or sort of a zone detection. So just one anchor would tell you, you know, is it left or right? It do doesn't tell you, like, precise position, X, Y, okay. but it can tell you, you know, it's on the left side or it's on the right side. So it could be used very well as, as a gate, for example, something like that. And... It just gives you an extra extra scale in the accuracy. So uh, you could, you know, you can have some parts where you would be using like we call it true location, so precise positioning, and then you can have a part where you say, okay, here I only need to know, you know, if an object is there or there, or if it's just passing. So there you could just use one anchor with with the angle of arrival. So this would be this would be very good. Yeah, that would be a very nice use case. We've we've seen several uh, several different solutions. That should work with just one IP, but after after testing it, it, it was not the case. So hopefully it will work with, with ultra wideband better. So with Wi-Fi and BLE, it, it didn't. We 
we all, okay. always had to have at least like two or ideally three. But we, we, we find it wasn't too great. Yeah. Okay. So you, you mentioned the uh, rectangular design, the four anchors, and that all the anchors are listening to, to the tags uh, simultaneously. Does this mean mm -hmm. that all the anchors and tags, they are operating on the same channel all the time? Yeah, yeah. Uh, everything in the system is operating on the same channel and frequency. And yeah, exactly. So it's it's um, the technicians would call it like radio geeks would call it pure aloha, uh, which simply means that the tag just sends messages in some intervals and on the same channel as every other device in the system. And the anchors are listening for for the signal. Okay. How do how do those devices know when to listen and when to transmit? So so they are like you know allowed in time for for the transmission. Do you have like some kind of a I don't know like a master device that that sets clocks in all the other devices in the yeah. network yeah yeah so this is a very crucial part of the system actually any you know time of flight uh, based system ultra wideband system is that you need to your whole system your whole set of anchors needs to be very precisely synchronized because uh, ble wi-fi these technologies they use uh, rssi received signal of strength to calculate distance and position but ultra wideband uses time of flight and of course if you want to measure time between two devices, they absolutely need to be on the same time domain. Otherwise, you wouldn't get precise precise results in terms of positioning. So uh, this is something that you need to uh, need to uh, have done very, very precisely within the system, which means in our system, for example, you have these anchors which synchronize anchors in its vicinity and they form these, let's say, virtual location cells. And these cells, you know, basically make up the whole system. So um, this is when the anchors, uh, one of the, some of the anchors transmit the synchronization signal. The rest receive it, uh, you know, adjust their clock to to the same um, to the same you know to the same domain, and then they listen for for the for the uh, signals from the tags as well. Okay, so in one area of interest, you will always have at least one master anchor. That yeah. synchronizes the time. Okay, and yeah. if you have multiple areas like stitched together, I don't know, like multiple rooms or, or big spaces where not every anchor can have a line of sight to its master, would you have multiple masters? Yeah, exactly. So every anchor in the system needs to be synchronized in order to provide positioning. So yeah, you always need to set it in a way. And this this way goes back to the question with the deployment part. So this is actually what is considered during the deployment. So you have the floor plan in front of you, you place the anchors. That's, that's the first part to make sure that you have a good coverage. And the second part is that you can pre-select your master anchors, uh, which will synchronize uh, the rest. And then when you go on site to install them, uh, you do some sort of initialization. Uh, the system tries to automatically suggest which which masters would be good, and you can you can either accept its uh, its suggestion or you can adjust it. Uh, you can adjust it to select the, the right ones. Okay, I guess we've 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 seen it. So the system has automatically detected. We had five tag. We have five anchors, and the system mm -hmm. has suggested two masters, and we were not sure. If if it's like something that that we should use, or we should just use one master and select it manually, like you know, making sure that it can see all the other anchors in the room. Or if you had two rooms, would you have two masters? So it clears things up. Yeah. So it's nothing wrong with having two masters. The only thing is that they will not only uh, listen to the tags, that they will also be uh, transmitting the uh, frame tags, tag frames, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. time frames to 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 its uh, adjacent anchors. Cool. That's that yeah. answers the. The question and also 
like uh, Savio is working as an overlay to to a Wi-Fi, and it's not only like a related thing to a Wi-Fi. You can use it when you have a Wi-Fi running in your in your building, your vicinity, your your uh, I don't know, like a warehouse, or you can use it on its own. But it wouldn't be so fun if you didn't have any partners. So I'm sure that you would probably like to tell us a little bit more of the mysterious part of partnering with some Wi-Fi vendors. So who are you partnering with and how is it going to work? Good, good question. Um, so, of course, you're right about that. Uh, you can leverage the existing, uh, some of the existing networks pretty, pretty nicely uh, by providing power and data to, to the, to the, to the ultra wideband anchors. So, um, a few months ago, uh, we uh, had some announcement that we made an extension to Cisco Access Point. So that was the 3800 series, uh, where you can extend. Uh, where, where we made a module that you can just plug into the access point and you can basically provide ultra-wideband capabilities to the to the Cisco access point. So that was one um, that was one venture into the Wi-Fi world that we did last year. And the latest one, obviously, is a partnership with uh, with MIST Technologies. And this is yes. all about yeah. And this is very this is this is a much more simple integration uh, where you can simply plug our anchor into one of the PoE ports of the access point. Uh, we can leverage the access points data backhaul and also the power, and we can send we can send the data back to the to the mist cloud, for example, and to local server or wherever we need to, which is actually perfect because once somebody has already an existing mist infrastructure, he doesn't need to put much more much more uh, costs or much more money into you know building a, f a completely new infrastructure for ultra wideband, but we can very nicely leverage what is there. And uh, just connected with uh, with ultra wideband, which lowers the overall you know TCO uh, of of the of the whole system basically. So that, just just to reiterate, you have like a beautiful uh, BLE uh, infrastructure which mm -hmm. can can do like a blue dot uh, experience through a mobile application yeah. uh, indoor, which is which is fine. You don't require anything fancier than that. But if you already have MIST and you are in a warehouse or in an industrial space where BLE is uh, maybe not ticking all the boxes, you can just connect your standard anchor to the MIST POE pass-through port to use its POE power and a data backhaul to have ultra-wideband capabilities. Exactly, exactly. So the idea is, uh, of course, BLE is great for many use cases. I mean, navigation in, I don't know, airports, shopping malls, stuff like that. But like, like you mentioned, there are some environments where Wi-Fi and BLE are not so successful. And that's mainly harsh environments with lots of metals. And that's actually where ultra-wideband uh, brings the added value. So it's a very nice complement to already existing portfolio and already existing technologies. So it can open up a whole bunch of new use cases and a new new part of market for 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 both of us. So hence the partnership. It feels like there was a hole in the market. Like you know, we had this basic uh, network-wide presence and analytics stats using Wi-Fi. Then we had turn-by-turn uh, -turn navigation, wayfinding engagement with with BLE, and that's great because every device in the market right now they have a BLE radios built in that can be used with the applications or as assets uh, to be tracked. But if we need this extra extra juice, extra accuracy, extra location calculation frequency, then it feels like a spot-on solution. Yeah. So it, it's great. Uh, how much power does it does it take from the access point? Uh, so the yeah, the one anchor on average is like two watts. So that's the average consumption. It's not too bad. 
Uh, yeah. Do you think so? No. And um, the, when it does plug into the POE pass through on the MIST dashboard and reports back into the MIST cloud, are you saying that potentially in the future we'd be able to see the tags moving around in the MIST dashboard, or is that still going to require the SWEO studio or information? I definitely think that in the future you could see it directly in the dashboard. Yeah, it's uh, then it's really a question about software integration. So if it will go well and we we would do some you know joint development together, sure, it, you could see it one day directly in the dashboard. Yeah, no need for any anything between between uh, the cloud and uh, and uh, the access points or the anchors. Yeah, Man, so it's super nice. It's super mad. It's, you can have the best of three worlds. You can have a five five BLE. And not only BLEs, like BLE assets, tracking BLE, uh, VBLE, proper blue dot plus ultra wide band. Yeah, I mean, in the, end, in the end, this is perfect for the end customer, right? Because he really can choose what he wants. I mean, if he says only, you know, I just need to navigate my phone and I don't need super high precision, then, you know, he can go with BLE. But of course, if you if you really need to have the extra level of performance, then you can choose UWB. So in the end, it gives the customers, you know, big choice of, of uh, the right technology for, for their use case, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And just like very quickly, uh, going back to the, uh, to the design, okay? sorry guys, I have several more questions. Uh, so the, <laughs> <Of course. laughs> the, the anchors that we used, they were omnidirectional, like true omnis, like pretty much 360, so it doesn't matter how you, how you position them. Uh, but mm -hmm. you also mentioned something about the directional anchors. So how would that work? Like with the directional anchors, do yeah. you, how many do you need? How do you position them? How do you angle them? And what's the use case for, for these bad boys? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So basically the, the, the motivation behind the directional ones was primarily the, the distance. So with the Omnis, uh, I mean, this is, this is just like based on, you know, pure radio, <laughs> radio stuff behind that. If you have an Omni antenna, uh, it can never give you uh, as a good range as directional antenna because simply put it just the the energy is basically sent everywhere but with directional you know you, you are concentrating the same energy into more narrow space so obviously you'll be able to have a better reach with that sort of antenna so um, that was our motivation behind the directional one to be able to serve use cases where the distances are fairly big so we did have some uh, projects in in industry primarily where you have really like a big shop floor and you don't have that many options where to mount the anchors so with omnis you would be simply too far away the signal the the signal wouldn't be uh, good enough for for synchronization and location so that's why we came up with these directional ones um you have like a the main beam is like let's say 120 degrees uh wide in the horizontal plane so it, oh. it is directional but fairly you know it's fairly big angle and you just point them basically to the location area where the tags will be moving and yeah you're good to go so you so can of course it will be suitable it will be more suitable for spaces like uh, standard anchors omnis they shouldn't be located like a thing in your documentation it says like five meters above the tags that it's tracking so with this directional antennas you would be able to position them properly like on top of the racks in the warehouse perhaps yeah yeah, be yeah able to track the exactly assets. Yeah, they are even more. They are even more sensitive. Exactly. So you can put them even higher. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it, it's the idea is that you you in typical installation you would use both. Like some areas 
you know require more uh, more the omnis uh, because you don't the the directional would be overkill and in more open space environments you could go for the directional ones so that was the that was the idea so for example if we had a, a warehouse that had um so we've got a customer that's got warehouse racks that are 15 meters high uh, they're very narrow but they also are 120 meters in length so would you use a directional kind of like at one end and then a directional at the other end of the aisle for that kind of deployment exactly exactly so that's actually uh, that's actually uh, one thing that we're working on right now uh, as an enhancement to the system so uh, to to let's say lower the number of anchors that you require within a warehouse because exactly like you mentioned this is a very this is a very challenging environment uh, such long narrow you know aisle or corridor or however you want to call it so yeah the idea is that you can use the directionals only uh, at the beginning and at the end, for example, or you know, just a few in the middle. Also, depends on how long it is, and you could just measure, you know, in which part of the alley the forklift or whoever, whatever you want to track is is currently located. Nice. Yeah, that's crazy. So it, it seems like you have everything uh, figured out. Well, uh, obviously, use not, cases. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, not everything, but what we try to do, uh, we try to do with everything uh, in our company. Uh, we really try to gather feedback from the market. So, what the partners say, our blockers, you know, for for them to you know get more projects, and what the what the what the customers would like to see in the system. So, we try to take all these and you know try to prioritize them, and we always build that into the next generation of our software and hardware to be able to serve more more and more use cases so that's that's our approach i mean of course nothing is ever perfect but yeah we're trying to we're doing our best <laughs> so this is obvious that ultra wideband is going to take market by storm because like you know some verticals they were really really struggling with the location services and i think now the struggle is about to to come to an end hopefully, hopefully. so ultra wideband is amazing so what do we need for ultra wideband to be widely adapted like more widely than it is it is now because it's still a niche and i'm sure that there is like quite a lot of things that we could do to to push it further to the market so what is stopping us from this very wide adoption and a quick adoption uh what are the hurdles and challenges yeah yeah uh i'd say definitely a bit more standardization so for example if you look at uh, bluetooth uh if you look at bluetooth for example you have you have the ibeacon protocol you have the eddystone protocol uh which are standard and are used in the industry you don't have anything like that in ultra wideband so what we would uh, what we would very uh, welcome a lot is if we would have like a really standard protocol uh communication protocol which means that really you could use our anchors tags from someone else off the shelf tags you know, really, this would open up uh, much more opportunities, and in the end, it would be great for the end customers because really they could just shop for any ultra wideband tag that they like, or even use mobile phone, whatever, and they can use their use that in their uh, their deployment uh, with our anchors, for example. So bigger interoperability among vendors, definitely. That's that's one thing. Second thing is that still. As we talked about it before, uh, the solution still requires the infrastructure, so the cables and stuff like that. So still, the TCO is can be sometimes high in some some segments. Probably not that much in industry, but for example, in I don't know, uh, in retail maybe. You know, just to pull a lot of cabling can be can be tricky. So that's another thing where where uh, we're working uh, on a reduction and. Uh, yeah, very, very could be really helped to push down the battery consumption to 
maybe even use ultra wideband anchors in the future on on batteries similar to bluetooth beacons who knows that could be that could be also very helpful and uh, yeah so i i'd say these these are the main these are the main blockers really uh the overall tco and uh, yeah the standardization if you can nail these down it will be it will be you know it will be really ready for the mass adoption and if we look at the new yeah. standard that they are preparing uh it's uh, really you can you can see that by the technical changes the amendments that are being made the technology is truly being prepared for this sort of adoption and uh if you look you know several years back when the ibeacon was released it you know changed a lot uh, for the bluetooth industry so i hope that since you know the chip was shown last year like silently but still it was there that something similar will happen also with the with the ultra wideband that it could be similar to to the revolution that ibeacon made a few years ago yeah so what, I think what can I say, guys? Just harvest green energy, put a solar panels in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, probably not indoors though, but yeah. <laughs> or in the UK. <laughs> or in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I think really yeah. this year, uh, this year we'll see, we'll see a lot. Uh, you already, you can already see a lot of, lot of, uh, you know, use cases and dem- demos at the CES. And I think that this year will show us many more applications, chips, or offerings with ultra wideband, uh, which will which will expand the market uh, much more, hopefully. But also, if you can, can head over crossed. to your website as well and see some some nice demos, because and on your YouTube channel, um, that's where I saw you guys testing on the basketball court. I've seen on the demo one where it's like uh, following around a load of. Um, forklift trucks as well mm-hmm. and that's just ac- accessible just purely via is it demo.suio.net as well exactly demo.suio.net of course our website and our youtube channel yeah we're uh, constantly trying to put new stuff in there yeah yeah i mean I, we watched a video of you setting up um setting up the kit as well i think that helped mac quite a lot before <laughs> his <laughs> um, yeah He's that up. was one of my first job assignments. So this is really <laughs> this was way back. <laughs> yeah, but have to have these resources, like you know, it's so easy to follow. It's just it's just a breeze to work with this kind of kit. Uh, and by the way, uh, guys, so the kit from Sevio, uh, which was sent to us for for testing, it has like a very very nice case with a foamy inserts inside. It has like uh, five anchors. Uh, we had a Wi-Fi version of it, so there were Wi-Fi connected to to the concentrator. Uh, it has like two assets, uh, well, two two asset tags, small ones, which you can you can you can use as a watch. I think I've seen like a spaces where you can attach the watch straps to it, which mm-hmm. is great. And also you have some industrial uh, tags in it, and brackets, and batteries, and screws. So it's a it's a really really impressive thing that you send over. It's like you don't need anything else. You just need to have like a computer to put an RTLS studio on and you're ready to go. And then you just have to figure out the POE, which can be anything. Battery, unconfigured switch, configured switch, it really doesn't doesn't matter at this stage. So it was it was great. <laughs> yeah, you, you say it better than me, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad that you liked it. And it's it's unbiased and it's not sponsored. So this is our our own thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> and about your partners, your partnership, and your existing clients, uh, do 
you do you have like some established clients that are that are using your your services? Uh, would you like to provide us with some some names, or maybe you cannot tell us about the names? Maybe some numbers would would do. Yeah, yeah, sure thing. So actually, all our partners are transparently listed on our website. So we have approximately 80, we call them solution partners. So these are mainly system integrators and similar companies who, for example, very often uh, already have BLE in their portfolio. And, you know, they were reached to by a customer who wanted some extra level of performance. So that's how they reached us. This is typical, typical way how, how we you know, how we got uh, new partners. So uh, typically it's companies that have their own uh, software offerings, but they just need uh, an extra uh, feeder of precise XY data. So that's what we do for them. We we give them very precise XY and they are able to deliver a new product to their to their customers. So this is typical way how we operate. And as mentioned, all of them are listed on, on the website. Uh, and yeah, um, most of most of the projects that uh, we've uh, that have been implemented with our technology so far, yeah, most of them are uh, located in Europe. Some some you can find also in North America, and will slowly but uh, surely expanding. Not slowly but uh, surely expanding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also there was, there was one one more thing. It's like I I don't know about about you guys, but our our listeners. So guys, do you do you? ever did you ever have to set up like a tls solution before do you guys uh, had to set the height of the access points every access point so remember uh, using the laser measure tools to, to to measure the height of the access points and then pointing like an led or an arrow in one direction to set an azimuth in maps services server uh, i do remember it very well and the good things is it's gone with savio so that was another well done thing peter you don't have to set a height of the anchors. You don't have to set an azimuth of the anchors. The only one requirement is for the anchors to be located at the same height, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it doesn't how need did to be you, exact. How did you do that? <laughs> well, you know, software magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, exactly. And it, it doesn't need to be really the same height. It can be, let's say, plus minus one meter, uh, you know, with the anchors. It doesn't need to be exactly you the same. didn't tell us before. So, like, we were measuring everything uh, at, at Mist office in Helsinki <laughs> a few days ago. <laughs> so it's it's spotless. We'll, we will put some pictures in the show notes uh, showing everyone how uh, beautifully we've mounted uh, your kit to the ceiling, to the walls, it's it's really amazing. This is the best mounting solutions you've you've ever seen, all of you. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think I don't have any further questions. How about how about you, Matt? Do you have any questions? I just I'm excited to see it myself in person, hopefully very soon. Oh man, yeah, we'll have plenty of opportunities. I'm I'm, I'm sure. It's like I'm I'm hooked. UC's hooked. Uh, it's your turn next. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perfect. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to it as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to? Would you like to something? Uh, something, Peter, or you feel like we've discussed it in quite depth? Yeah, I think we've. I mean, this is a topic that we can talk about for hours and hours. But yeah, I think we've touched uh, most of the most of the interesting uh, or the most important subjects. And uh, yeah, looking forward to doing this another time again. That yeah, would be a pleasure. But let's do it over a beer next time. <laughs> that would be even better, yeah. But no recording, probably. Uh, it can. Uh, well, let's let's see about that. We can do it in Prague because you guys have really really good lagers there. <laughs> yeah, happy to see you here. Sure. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time, Peter and Mac.
Yep, yep, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, pleasure is all mine. Thank you very much for having me. No worries. Just before um, you go, Peter, are you on Twitter? How can people reach out to you if they want to speak to you more about ultra wideband and the Surio solution? Like, is there a way they can reach out to you? Yeah, yeah. Probably LinkedIn would be would be best. So you can find me on LinkedIn for sure. Uh, and uh, yeah, we can we can connect over there. Or or you know if anyone will be interested in general uh, about the technology, about our products, whatever, they can always send us a message on our website. So we have like a traditional contact form. We also have one-on-one demo sessions. So you can schedule a live demo with one of our account managers, which will, who will walk you through a real demo from one of the projects that we did and explain how the technology works in great detail. So yeah, these would be these would be the best ways to connect. Okay, amazing. Cool. Well, thank you very much, guys. And we will speak to you again very soon, Peter, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, me too. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, talk to you soon over a beer or, you know, (laughs) on a standard podcast. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, guys. Take care. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. So, guys, thank you very much for listening to our one and a half hour long podcast about the ultra wide bands. Yeah, it's, it's long. Yeah. So I hope you really, really enjoyed it. And I'm sure that you would like us to stop talking about it. But uh, we have some more stuff to talk about. So, Mr. UC, welcome back. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's it's good to be back here inside, you know, in the warm, back from under the bridge. It's a misty <laughs> weather out there in London. It is very misty weather indeed. So since we have you here, thought it will be very, very good to have your insights about what you feel about the relevance and the relationship between uh, between you as Mist and the Savio, and how do Savio fit inside the Mist portfolio? So, how do you see this partnership? That's a that's a good question. So, I think Mist in general has kind of taken the leading role. Of, look at look at gardeners or customers or whatever. But we've we've kind of taken the leading role in the location tracking uh, side uh, of wireless things. And and of course one of them is BLE virtual BLE arrays and and, and all that kind of stuff, uh, which which continues to be our very much the core business. But I feel also um, that it's it is the responsibility of Mist to provide. Um, end-to-end solutions for our customers and very often the wireless engineer is also deploying the location tracking system let's say to a warehouse or manufacturing plant or whatnot and now mist uh, can now offer even for those environments where you need high accuracy in super difficult environments we can provide a solution together with sevio uh, by by you, you know working together this partnership pushing power to the to the Sevio anchors. Uh, the Sevio anchors obviously can be Wi-Fi enabled, so they can use the missed Wi-Fi network. So we provide the cabling and we provide the backbone connectivity in terms of Wi-Fi for the Sevio anchors, if that makes sense. So one, it's a good fit infrastructure-wise, and B, we are out here to make our customers happy, to solve our customer problems. And like Bob Friday and Sunalini from, from our team, they say that, you know, 
whatever technology and whatever uh, devices seem to be prevalent in this in this world and solving the customer problems, MIST needs to be on board with that. And one thing is Apple has now ultra-wideband in their phones, right? We, we don't know where that's going. Uh, certainly I don't. Maybe maybe the guys in Cupertino know more, but but that's that's one proponent for, you, you know, us to be involved in this ultra-wideband game as well. Of course. So it doesn't matter what Apple does, we are ready, right? Yes. So Ultra-wideband integration with Sevio is there. So we are starting with a very easy integration where we just use PoE pass-through from MIST access points where we can use the power from the MIST access points and we can use the cabling that MIST access points are using and a backbone that MIST access points are using. So the backhaul data back to the RTLS server is easy to achieve and we don't need any extra infrastructure. All we need is just to put several anchors here and there, of course, respecting our design best practices for ultra-wideband, which we've covered before. And do you know if we have any plans for further integration between the MIST and Sevio, or is it is it a secret? Mm, you know, I uh, at the company, I am not at the stage yet where I could talk about these things publicly and not get fired. So so let's save that for the, for another webinar, if that's okay with you, Mac. Of course, it is okay with me. But thank you very much for, for giving us some information. And we are all looking forward to seeing how the situation develops in regards to the partnership and integration. SMI, SRV, thank you so much, uh, Mac and Matt, for having me on. And, and uh, special thanks to Peter from Sevio for, you know, uh, putting up with you guys for more than 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah thank you very much guys and we will see you again in two weeks time see you guys cheers bye